Please take your Bibles and turn to Ruth. We finished Ruth a couple of weeks ago in the sense that we got through all four chapters. It was not long after we finished the series that as I was thinking back upon it, I felt a deficiency in the series and that we exposited it well. We went through it well. We talked about a great number of interesting things. We applied it to our lives. But I didn't link as well as I feel perhaps needs to be between what we see in the book of Ruth and what we see when Jesus Christ comes on the scene. We know that the Bible is a book that points to Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Now, I want to kind of make a, a, a bit of a clarity here, a, a bit of a distinction. Some people wouldn't agree with me, but as I look at the Bible, I wouldn't say that the entire Bible is about Christ. But I would say that the whole Bible points to Christ. And I make that distinction where other people might not. They might say, well, Pastor Wickler, I disagree with you. I think the whole Bible is about Christ. And that's fine. I'm not going to argue about that point if, if that's the direction. If you think the whole Bible is indeed about Christ, that's fine. I don't necessarily see that. But I do see the entire Bible pointing to Christ. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, everything points to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. However, as we looked in the book of Ruth, we did see a story, an account of redemption, and while uh, we do look at that account of redemption and say, well, what a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ and His church, we also look and we say, well, what a wonderful contrast between what was happening in the book of Judges and what was happening at the time of the Judges in the book of Ruth. And so, just as much as we see the book of Ruth pointing to Jesus Christ through the Leverett marriage and the kinsman redeemer, we also see the book of, book of Ruth as a picture of the remnant in the midst of a very dark time in Israel history. Uh, a pointing to those who were obedient in the midst of an exercised faith, in the midst of a time of unbelief and a lack of faith. And so, let's start with a little bit of review. Just quickly answer a couple of questions for me, and then we're going to talk about redemption and how it is that the book of Ruth points us to Christ. We talked about two separate but interrelated concepts in the book of Ruth. We talked about the leveret marriage... And we talked about the idea of a kinsman redeemer. Can anybody help me by explaining what a leveret marriage was? Evan. Right, and what was the... He would, he would take his brother's wife as his wife for what purpose? In whose name? 
right. And that is an important aspect of the Leverett marriage. That when a man died, his wife, his brother would be expected to take upon himself the responsibility of marrying his brother's wife before he had died and then raising up children in his brother's name for his brother's inheritance. And that was the Leverett marriage. This was commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Peyton. I do not believe so. There's no specification in Scripture about that. But we don't see anywhere in the law of God where there's provision made for multiple wives. So I do not believe in being consistent with Scripture that we would, we would see that, although there is no specification in the law about that. It simply says that his brother... And everywhere where we see the example, even before the law, as we look at um, um, Jacob, was it Judah, I guess, or Judah, and his son with Tamar... Um, Tamar's husband dies and he says, I'll give you my next son. And when he became of age, he didn't. Or, I guess the first one he did and he died. And then the the next son, when he came of age, was not given. Uh, She was not given to him. And so, we don't know if he wasn't married or if he married someone else. But we do not see an example where someone already married takes a wife. Good question. Um, And that would not be consistent with what we see in the scriptures about one man and one woman for life, which goes all the way back to Genesis. So, we wouldn't expect that. Good question. Any other questions? So, we have the Leveret marriage. Um, the requirement that a brother would raise up seed to his dead brother's inheritance. And this was a sacrifice because he would be feeding, clothing, raising, training, bestowing upon this man who would then take his inheritance and all of that effort and blessing would not go towards the man's lineage. It would go towards his brother's lineage. And then we talked about the kinsman redeemer, which was a similar related idea. What was the idea of the kinsman redeemer? And the Leverett marriage could be a part of a redemption or it could not be a part of a redemption. And we saw that with such a one, if we recall. Courtney. Right. So if, if a man dies, then his kinsman, his next of kin, be it his brother or if he doesn't have a brother, then his father's brethren and so up the line till someone shows up um, is supposed to take the land and that land is not to leave the family. It was supposed to stay in the family so that we wouldn't have Judah and all of a sudden there's a big shake up in Judah and a bunch of men die and all, all of a sudden Benjamin comes in and takes all of Judah's land. God wanted the land to stay in the family. And so the redemption aspect would, would, would be a part of that. However, the lever of marriage would be a required part of the redemption. So redemption was a pretty good deal. And we recall in, in uh, chapter 4, Boaz is at the gate and he calls 
the one man who had a, a prior claim to Naomi's land. And he doesn't call him by a name, he just calls him Ho Such a One in Romans chapter, or, uh, Ruth 4, verse 1. And so that's all we know in Scripture is he's Ho Such a One. So that's what I call him, Ho Such a One. And so Boaz says, Hey, Ho Such a One. And he says, I've got this land, it's Naomi's land. She's come out, there's no one to redeem it. You're the, you're the man in line for it. He was the closest living relative to Elimelech. It's your land. And the guy says, well, this is great. That's wonderful. I'll get this land. It will go towards my property. It will go towards my inheritance. I'll do it. I'll redeem. And then, of course, Boaz says, oh, wait. There's also this wife. And when you redeem the land, you have to play the part of the leveret, marriage. And he says, well, wait a minute. Now, I'm going to get this land. I'm going to till this land. I'm going to work this land. And sure, I'll receive the benefits of the land for a little while. But all of that investment I'm putting into the land is going to go to her son, not my son. Which means her son is the one, and, and it's, it's not Elimelech. Uh, Ruth was married to Malon. Um, and so Malon, his name is the one that's going to be perpetuated, not my name. Oh, such a one. Therefore, he says, I don't want it. You can have it. And Boaz redeems her as well as the land and raises that up in her husband's name and in the family of Elimelech. So we talk about redemption. There are two concepts of redemption that we see illustrated in the book of Ruth. The first one is, as we think about the the term redemption and the the definition of redemption, um, the idea of redemption is to repurchase something that was sold to regain the possession of a thing that had been alienated or had been lost. This was what had happened with the land. The land, of course, Elimelech and his family had moved to the fields of Moab from, from um, Bethlehem. They had died. They come back. They have this land that is theirs by right, but Naomi can't claim it. The law doesn't give her provision. Ruth can't claim it. The law doesn't give her provision. And so this land is kind of no one's at, at the time. And when Boaz bought that land, when he redeemed that land, that is the kind of redemption that, that we see Boaz performing there. He was buying back that which had been sold or that which had been lost or that which had been estranged from the family. He was buying it back for the family of Elimelech. That was what he did for the family. This was done by Boaz in obedience to the law of God. God had said, this is what needs to be done. Boaz says, I see this is what needs to be done. I'm going to do it. He took it upon himself to align himself with God's will and God's word. He took the charge. He redeemed the land. There's a second element to redemption that we see in the book of Ruth, though, and that is the idea of rescuing or recovering or delivering. And this is the redemption that we see both in Naomi's life and in Ruth's life. And what's interesting as we looked at the end of Ruth is it really not focusing on the redemption of Ruth, is it? Who's, who's the redemption really focusing on at the end? Do you recall? Courtney. Naomi. Interesting. Naomi was the one that was really focused on her redemption and who was her redeemer? you remember? 
Courtney? Obed, the little boy that Ruth that was born to Ruth. That's what we see in verse uh, 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when she went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. That word kinsman is literally the word redeemer. And his, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the, wo- and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so what an interesting thing that we see redemption. It's not even really focusing on Ruth. The redemption is focusing on Naomi, and they, the redeemer was Obed. So all throughout the book, we're seeing redemption. We begin way back at the beginning of Joshua. Boaz's mother was Rahab the harlot. Redemption from from this Canaanite slaughter. Then we see Ruth. Redemption by Boaz. Then we see Naomi. Redemption through Obed. And of course, Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Redemption all through. And this is the idea of rescuing, recovering, delivering, pulling them out of the circumstances that they were in and exalting them and giving them peace and giving them comfort and giving them happiness and giving them life. Naomi, who said that she had nothing left to live for, is basically what she said when she came back. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter, for the Almighty hath been bitter against me. And then... The redemption comes. And she again has family. And Ruth has been redeemed and brought into Israel. And she even becomes the grandmother of... Great-grandmother of David. With these things in mind, I would like us to think about the redemption of Jesus Christ for us. Boaz submitted himself to the will of God, to the word of God, to the law of God as he redeemed the land and redeemed Ruth physically as accord- in accordance with the law. As we look at Jesus Christ and his ministry, what he did upon this earth is he aligned himself with the will of God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Keep your thumb in Ruth. We'll be back. Actually, I guess you don't have to keep your thumb in Ruth. I don't think we'll reference it anymore. I'll keep my thumb in Ruth because that's where my notes are written. This passage I've come to many times, this is the definitive passage in the Scriptures for defining the mind of Christ. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as Jesus Christ came to this earth, as He lived His years proclaiming repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as He taught, as He did the miracles, and then particularly as He knelt on His knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Father, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. It is the picture of a Savior who is completely yielding Himself to the will of God, to the, to the expectation of God, to the revealed will of God, so that we might receive redemption. Just as Boaz yielded Himself to the will of God. But we also see that reality of rescuing, of delivering, of recovering. Jesus Christ pursued mankind in love. He gave Himself to die in love. He became a curse in love to rescue us from sin. And as if you recall from the, from the, the story of Boaz, not only did he recognize the duty to redeem Ruth, but as he heard of her leaving Moab and coming with her mother-in-law, the loyalty to her mother-in-law, and then as he saw her working hard in the fields, and as he interacted with her and she humbled herself before him in great deference, he was impressed. And we saw the love story develop. We saw this mutual admiration develop. And he pursued her in love. Just as Christ loves His church. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul is contrasting elements of the law with elements of faith, of the Spirit. He says in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? They were saved and they believed that salvation was by grace through faith. And then they began submitting themselves to the law again and desired to find sanctification before God to please God through elements of the law. And he says in verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so, Christ has redeemed us, there's our word, from the curse of the law, by being made a curse for us, by taking upon Himself that which we could not bear, much less would want to bear Christ's redemption in love. But the definitive passage is really Romans 5. And, and go there and we'll park there for a little bit. And then we'll ask a question as we close this evening. In Romans chapter 5, Paul 
began by speaking of Abraham and Sarah and their faith. And then he says in verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul gives an overview here of, of Jesus Christ dying for us while in our sins, the necessity for redemption, but he's going to flesh this out even more. It says in verse 9, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We'll pick up there in just a moment. The idea of us being reconciled to God rests upon the foundation that we were alienated from Him. Could you imagine Ruth having gone back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law and doing her thing, going out in the fields and everything, and and Boaz says, I would love to redeem you and this land according to the law of God. And she says, I don't need redemption. I'm just fine. What do you mean I don't need that? Redemption. What's this redemption thing? Fine. How, how foolish would that have been? She has no means by which to provide for herself, save to glean in the fields like with the poor. They have no provision. They have no land. They have no inheritance. She says, no, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need redemption. See, the reality of Boaz's redemption presupposes that she needed to be redeemed and she recognized her need to be redeemed. And so what did she do? She went to Boaz. She lifted up uh, the skirt at his feet. She laid down at his feet asking to be redeemed. She recognized the need. Naomi says, should I not provide for you? Go do this. She instructs her daughter-in-law as to how she can be redeemed Ruth pursues the redemption. Boaz, in love, grants the redemption. We must recognize our alienation before we can recognize our need for redemption. And that is why it's so important that we get people to a place where they recognize they're sinners so that they can recognize their need for salvation so that they can accept the redemption of Jesus Christ. If you don't need a redeemer, then you're not going to accept a redeemer. Look look with me as we continue in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. He says in parentheses here, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. In other words, the free gift is not as the offense. For if through the offense of one many be dead, 
much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the, the epitome of the parallel between what we see in Ruth with Boaz and what we see in Jesus Christ and His church. The reality that as the offense came by one so that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, in need of redemption, in need of reconciliation, lost in our trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ took upon Himself what we could not. Ruth could not have ever redeemed herself. There is no way under the law of God that she could have pulled herself up by her own bootstraps, worked hard enough, and redeemed herself. She couldn't open a little hot dog stand on the corner and get all of Boaz's servants to come and worked her way up in the world and bought a bunch of of, uh, capital and made a, a huge business and had Ruth's hot dogs all around Judea. It wouldn't have worked. It just doesn't happen that way in in Israel. She needed a redeemer. She had no other option. And Boaz, in love, even at the detriment to himself, redeemed her. But what was a detriment in the short term becomes glory in the long term and honor, does it not? Because as we look at the genealogies of Jesus Christ and of King David... We don't see Malon in that line, do we? See, Boaz was raising up seed unto Malon, Elimelech's son. But if you go to the genealogies, Boaz is the one in the genealogy, not Malon. Boaz is the one in the genealogy, not Ho such a one. Boaz is the one that has found his name engraven in scriptures and had the privilege of being the great-grandfather of King David. The lineage of kings. The lineage of the king of kings. And so whereas Boaz had to humble himself, and not just even take... It wasn't even redeeming an Israelite girl, was it? It was redeeming a Moabite woman. And whereas he had to redeem a Gentile... It brought about great glory. Spiritually. In the long term. And that's what we saw in Philippians chapter 2 with Christ. Right? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Not so that he could stay in the grave. Not so that people could say, wow, he was a good guy or a great prophet. But so that, therefore, he hath been highly exalted. Right? 
and given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So by submitting himself to the will of God and to the law of God on the short term and taking the contradiction of sinners and humbling himself to the death of the cross, the pain and the scorn and the, the shame, he was exalted in due time. Just as Boaz. And so I ask a question as we close this evening. We are going to get out early. As we think about Ruth and Boaz, imagine you're Ruth. Guys, I know that's tough. But imagine you're Ruth. You've just been redeemed by Boaz. You are helpless. You are attempting to provide for your mother-in-law and yourself. You're in the fields, gleaning in the corners of the fields according to the law, except that not too many farmers are leaving the gleanings like they're supposed to. This is the time of the judges. People weren't very obedient. On top of that, we know from the beginning of Ruth, they had just gotten out of at least a several-year famine, perhaps a 10- or 15-year famine. Those farmers are going to want to Pick every grain. And she needs redemption. So she's, she's redeemed. Let's get interactive here for a moment before we close. What do you think her response was to Boaz? What would you expect the results of her redemption, her response to this redemption to be? If you were writing this novel and Ruth gets redeemed, how would you expect her to react to treat Boaz, her response to redemption. Evan? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, she, she fell down on her face and said, who am I? that you should show such favor to me. Humility, gratefulness. We would expect that to continue, would we not? Anything else? We would expect humility, gratefulness, probably reciprocated love, and most likely loyalty. Right? Then we read in Galatians chapter 3.13 that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law, Jesus Christ being made a curse for us. And the application as we close this evening is how ought we to respond to our Redeemer? What should the results of our redemption be? If we truly understood what we have been redeemed from, and some of us who are saved later on in life can understand that perhaps a little bit better. The story um, of the um, woman named Mary and I believe it's the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus Christ says, he who is forgiven much loves much. Perhaps some of us can understand the idea of redemption better than others, but if we truly understand, if we were truly redeemed as Ruth was redeemed, from helplessness, from despair, from an inability to provide for ourselves, from an inability, we can't pull ourselves up. We can't get ourselves on our feet. We have no means, no ability, no no prospect to save ourselves, to help ourselves, 
hardly even a prospect to provide for ourselves. And then a mighty man comes along and does it for us and redeems us and loves us and takes us in. We ought to respond with gratefulness, with humility, with love, with fidelity, loyalty. But do we? Are you still in Romans chapter 5? Those last two verses of Romans 5, verse 20 and 21 said, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So they say, oh great, look at this. Where, where sin abounded, grace abounds now. So eat, drink, and be merry, right? Because grace abounds. Well, no. Look what Romans 6, verse 1 says. I almost wish there wasn't a chapter break here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, we've been redeemed. Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be also in the likeness of His death be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then his conclusion is, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. And he continues, don't yield your members uh, to unrighteousness. Do you see what he's saying? Could you imagine if Ruth had been redeemed? Boaz buys her, buys the fields, takes her in, provides for her, feeds her, clothes her, and the next day she puts on her rags, she goes out in the fields, and she starts gleaning with the poor. And she's out in the hot sun, gleaning with the poor, carrying the bushels, working all day, eating scraps, begging for whatever she could get, and Boaz comes out and says, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm gleaning with the poor. Why? You've been redeemed. Why would you go back out to the field and glean with the poor when you've been redeemed? Why would you go back out there and wear the rags again when I've clothed you in beautiful apparel? And that's what happens when we as the redeemed go back into the fields of sin. We take off the robes of righteousness. Now, obviously, we are still righteous in Christ, but we, we take off the robes of righteousness and we put on the rags of sin, proverbially. And we go back into the fields and we begin gleaning in the corners and begging for scraps of bread when we have a room in the house of the king. We sang uh, Psalm 107 in the Psalter this past Sunday, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If we're redeemed, we proclaim we're redeemed, but let's live 
like we're redeemed. We don't go back and fall back under sin. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 6, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. But we do. We go and we resubmit ourselves to sin, and our Redeemer is watching us scorn His sacrifice. Our Redeemer is watching us glean in the fields when He has paid the price at a price to Him, death on the cross, for us to never have to go into that field again. To never have to set foot in that field. To never have to wear those rags again. We put on the rags and we walk out in the field and we look our Redeemer in the eye and we say, your sacrifice doesn't mean anything to me. Your sacrifice is not enough. Well, sure, I can always run back into the house when the hail starts. I can always run back in the house when I need you. I can always run back in the house when I really get desperate. But as long as I'm not really desperate, I'm just going to hang out in the fields in those rags. It ought not be so. We ought to live every day of our lives under the reality of the redemption that has been purchased for us. Never again needing to go into the fields of sin. Never again needing to wear the rags of unrighteousness because we have been clothed in righteousness. We have been brought into the house. We have been made heirs, co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom. Let's pray together.